So we are continuing the series that we have started through the summer of looking at uh, the different stories throughout the Gospel of Luke. And as we do that, we're continuing on here th- today uh, into uh, Luke chapters uh, 15 and 16. Now, as we said, we've been going through covering two chapters a week. Um, and uh, as I said, there's so many things in this gospel that we are not going to be able to cover all of them. And, and today, we're actually only going to be in Luke 15. So I'm not even going to touch 16 today because um, there's, there's so much in 15 and there's so much in 16. There's no possible way to do them both. So I encourage you, again, to read Luke chapter 16 this, this week. Uh, dive into it yourself. If you have questions, let me know. Like I said, I'd love to, uh, to talk with you about that. But today we're going to be in Luke 15, so I'll invite you to open up your Bible with me to Luke chapter 15. And we are going to be in Luke 15 the entire time today. So, you know, flop your Bible open, uh, keep it there. We're going to go back to it several times today. Uh, If you don't have your own Bible with you, there are Bibles uh, available for you in the seat pockets. And on the message outline is the page numbers where you can find these passages. So, again, open that up, and uh, we're going to jump right into it today in Luke chapter 15. Now, through the last uh, several weeks, um, we've been going through, again, uh, like these last several chapters have given us very practical and very challenging messages. Um, and, and as we've seen that, we've heard, um, you know, how hard-hitting they are. I mean, they're very relevant, and they're kind of, you know, they really just develop the truth right in front of us. Now, um, today, um, as we look at Luke 15, this one, uh, these, these stories, um, you know, are, are a little bit of a change. Because Jesus looks at this and says, again, I've been, I've been, he's been teaching us these hard things. He's been really poking and, and calling out the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Right? He's been giving us these hard challenges. And as hard as they've been for us to hear, they were also hard for those around Jesus, right? For the crowds that heard them, and especially the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders. And in fact, they were a target of a lot of these teachings. And now today, Jesus, um, once again, looks right at them. And we're going to start as we set the context to these stories here in Luke 15. Um, And so Luke 15, uh, verse 1, where it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And so Jesus told them, this story. So we see this again, setting the context of these stories that, that um, follow. In fact, there are three stories in this chapter, and these stories are parables. And a parable is a story that is, that is told, right, that has a deeper meaning or has a deeper spiritual lesson that is embedded into the story. Okay, now Jesus tells three stories, um, all right in line in chapter 15, um, and he is He's talking, again, not just to these tax collectors and, and sinful people that are around him, but he's also, as you see, pointing and kind of poking at these Pharisees. Now, he does this, we've already seen throughout the gospel, he does this quite a few times. In fact, he's called them some pretty, pretty bad names in these earlier chapters, right? And he's called them out on a lot of things. And now... Um, he kind of steps back, and, and now he, he's not just calling them names. He's just going to tell them some stories. Okay, now Jesus t- teaches with stories a lot. Um, again, he, uh, he gives us these stories that we remember and, and we can identify with. Um, these stories, again, in chapter 15, are some very famous stories. They're familiar ones. 
Um, but they also come with a very specific meaning and some hard-hitting meanings. And so we're going to jump into these stories again that he gives to these Pharisees um, in these parables. Again, there's three of them right in a row. And the first one um, is verses 3 through 7, and it is the story of the lost sheep. So we're going to read this again, picking up here, uh, verse 3, Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulder. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now, as we read this story, um, again, God in the story is the shepherd, right? And, and God takes on, again, that role in that. Now, as, as Jesus was telling this story to these Pharisees and religious leaders, um, he makes, again, God into a shepherd. Now, um, again, the, the, the premise of this story that sets up, right, is that they were upset at Jesus for hanging out with these horrible people. Now, in their culture, these Pharisees and religious leaders um, had labeled several professions. They had a list of professions that were not honorable, that were not good. Now, I know it's going to be a surprise to us, but on this list was shepherds. And so Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and saying, hey, I know you're upset, right, about that I'm hanging out with these people I should be hanging out with. And so let me tell you a story. Oh, and by the way, God's a shepherd. Right, now this would have been offensive to them. Now, obviously, we know within biblical context, like in the Old Testament, um, there is a pretty, uh, you know, positive spin put on shepherds, right? We remember King David started out as a shepherd, right? And we see that. Now, even in Jesus' teaching, a lot of times he describes, not just here, but in other stories as well, he describes God as a shepherd, right? In fact, he even tells the religious leaders and pastors in the New Testament is, are described as shepherds. But to the Pharisees and religious leaders, this was a very offensive uh, position to hold. Okay, because it was typically, it was a hired out position, and it was filled by people um, who were typically lazy or shady. And so it was on this list of professions that righteous people just don't do. And so Jesus, again, continues, continues to, to poke at um, at these religious leaders and these Pharisees as he tells them this story. And then we get to the conclusion of the story, right, in the last part of verse 6 and the beginning of verse 7, or in and verse 7, where he says, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. And in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Now again, as we see this conclusion, Right, is we understand, right, he's saying, hey, like, like God is excited, right, not only does he pursue those that are lost, that need saving, but God's excited when they come back, and in fact, he invites them in to celebrate with him. Right, now again, they're looking at this, now they, they self-identify as righteous people, right, who are walking closely with God, and so, again, Jesus is kind of setting the stage for them, he's like, are you really listening Right? Are you getting the message of the story? And then he goes right into this next parable in Luke um, 
15 verses 8 through 10, and that is the parable of the lost coin. So he, he adds, jumps right into the next one after he tells them about the shepherd and the 99 and the lost sheep. Then in verse 8, he says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So he tells a second story with a very similar conclusion, right, and similar lesson. But in this story, we see this lady goes through the several steps to find the coin. Right now, this was a coin, again, it says it did not have a lot of value. Okay, this coin was not one, it wasn't like she was missing, you know, a $100 bill. Right, this is like when you look in your wallet and you got a couple 20s, a 10, a 5, and like two ones. These are like the two ones. And you're like, I could just blow these, you know, on a sonic drink or something, right? It's like there, there was not a lot of value in these coins. But yet she went to, um, to great effort to find it, right? It says she lights a lamp, right? She sweeps the floor and she searches carefully. So she spared nothing. She holds nothing back to find this very small amount of money. Again, this is like, again, in our context, sometimes when you're walking through, if you see a penny on the sidewalk, right, sometimes you're tempted to just keep walking because you're like, well, it's a penny. I can't do anything with a penny. Right, it just sits in my ashtray in my car, right? But again, he's saying even a penny, right, is, it's worth pursuing, right? And this lady goes through everything. And again, God, or he's showing us that God holds nothing back when he seeks out those that are lost, right? Even if society says they're worthless, God sees value and will hold nothing back to find that person, right? And as he, again, he's looking at this and, and remember the context, right? Is these Pharisees are saying like, no, you shouldn't be with those people, right? And he's like, no, let me tell you some stories about how God really works. Right? And as he's done this, again, he's continuing to kind of call them out and pull them, but he's doing it, right, in, in, through stories. Right? And then we see, again, the conclusion, then, of the lost coin. Okay? In the last part of verse 9 and verse 10, where he says, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Again, very similar conclusion to the lost sheep. Right? We're, we're invited to, to celebrate with him right, to, to rejoice, right, over what has been lost because it has now been found. And that both of these stories focus on the joy and the celebration over the lost being found. Again, there is joy by, uh, for, from God and from the angels and from all of the heavenly realms. And it says, again, there is there's a party happens in heaven whenever a lost one gets saved. But not just the joy of God and angels, but also there is a celebration that's connected to God's family, right? It says, that's what he says in both of these, right? They, like, they call their friends and their neighbors and their family and say, celebrate with me. Right? And he is challenging these Pharisees in this context to say, are you going to celebrate with God or not when these lost ones are found? Because there is an invitation for God's family that says you need to celebrate with us. 
Hey, because that is the way that God's kingdom works. Right? And he was looking at these religious leaders, again, and challenging them with the question, will you celebrate with God or not? Right? And this is an ongoing challenge for us today as followers of Jesus. Are we going to celebrate when God's kingdom wins or are we not? Do we have a, a kingdom mindset in our minds and our hearts? Right? And, and believe me, I want Oregon Trail to be as successful as we can be as a church. Right? And I want, I want to see us grow, and I want to see us reach lost people, and I want to see all of us journey forward. But am I as happy when another church is just as successful? We should be. Right? We need every Bible-believing church to be just as successful as we hope we are. Right again, and, and Jesus is looking at these Pharisees and saying, if you're really a part of God's kingdom, then have a kingdom mindset. And a kingdom mindset is all about God being glorified and about lost things being found and the celebration that comes when we all grow. Right? And I will tell you, among the culture of pastors, not just in our Treasure Valley, but the bigger C church, that's not always the way it comes across. But so many times we can get pulled into this competition between churches like, well, well they're, they're bigger than us or they have, you know, better this or that or, or whatever. And, and again, we need to celebrate when we all come together because that's God's kingdom. And I'll tell you, that's been my personal experience as a pastor is not a lot of pastors want to come to celebrate when another church is killing it. Right? But again, we all need to do that. It's a challenge for us. Again, as we think about this kingdom mindset, right, versus a selfish mindset, because at the core of our sinful nature is selfishness. Okay, and a big part of us growing in our faith journey is becoming less selfish as we journey closer to Christ. Right, and our selfish mindset fades as our kingdom mindset grows. Right, as you think about this, I've heard this many times. I heard it again this last week on the radio. I heard somebody talking about it, about the way to truly judge the health of a church is by what the conversations happen in the foyer and in the parking lot and in the meeting after the meeting. Okay, it's not just about what happens in the service or in the official meetings, but what do people talk about after the meeting? What do people talk about in the parking lot after service? Right, what's the interaction like? you know, outside of the programs. Because, again, are they kingdom conversations or are they selfish conversations? Right? And that is the way you truly judge the health of a congregation. Right? Is, is God a part of those conversations? Are they kingdom conversations? Right? Or are they selfish ones? So these two stories, the lost sheep and the lost coin, are truthfully just a warm-up. I mean, they're setting up the story that comes next. Okay, as we see, continue through Luke 15, okay, the, the next verse from where we left off is verse 11. In verse 11, it says, then to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. So again, Jesus tells these first two, right, the, the lost sheep and the lost coin, to set up this one. Right, because this is Jesus looking at them and being like, are you ready to dive deeper? Right, if you're not getting it yet, like buckle your seatbelt because here we go. Right, here's the real story. Right, this is, this, here's the deeper one. Okay, and this next story, okay, is the story 
of the lost son. Okay, now, most, most Bibles, in, including mine, right, there's the heading above this story that says the parable of the lost son. Okay, now, as we just read in verse 11, it's not actually about a lost son. It is about two sons. Okay, and so I challenge you, again, even though the fillings, fill-in is just one, make it plural. Okay, add an S on the end of that fill-in. Because this is the story of the lost sons. And just as verse 11, as Jesus starts out, there's a man with two sons. And this story is about two different sons. Okay, and if we only focus on the one son, the prodigal, then we only get half of the story. Like literally, it's like half of the verses in the story. Okay, so we're going to start there, right? And then we're going to move to the other son. So the first one is the story of the younger son, and this is in verses 12 through 24. So Luke 15, picking up at verse 12, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, And the man sent him into his fields to feed pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Okay, now as we read read this story of this younger son, okay, we um, again see um, this story. Now this son comes to his father. Okay, and literally, I mean, what the literally what he does? He goes to his father and says, "Dad, I wish you were dead." So give me your money now. Okay, there's, there's no way to sugarcoat what he does to his dad. Again, I cannot imagine one of my sons coming to me and saying, Dad, thanks for everything, but I wish you were dead because I need your money. So please give it to me now so I can go. And the father actually does it. Right? That's crazy. And yet, the son comes in and says, Dad, I want you to be dead. And he literally walks away. And not only does he leave the family, but he literally leaves his entire way of life. Okay, literally, um, the little translation of this is that it says, and again, in this translation, it says he goes off in wild living. The literal translation is he goes off and lives as a Gentile. Meaning he left all of his, his family, everything behind, and says, I don't want anything to do with my family of origin, especially my dad, and I'm going to go and do whatever I want. 
and that's exactly what he does. Right, and as he goes off to that, right, and, and again, he lives as if his dad was dead. He walks away completely. And then he ends up at this place, right? He, he as we, again, we see the story, right? His money runs out. There, there's hard times. He gets, he hits rock bottom. Okay, and then we see, again, this rock bottom is illustrated in verse 17, right? Where he says, when he finally came to his senses, then he said to himself. And then we hear this whole inner monologue and speech that he comes up with and his actions that follow. Now, I encourage you to underline the phrase, came to his senses. Because this is a very, very, very important point. Because until we are ready to be helped, right, even if somebody that cares for us and offers help, that help isn't going to help. Until we come to our senses. Right, he gets to the point where he realizes what he's done. Right, and the weight of his decisions are, are completely on his shoulders, right? And he comes to his senses. And at that point is where he's ready to repent. Okay, but before, until he gets to that point, again, it, it's all kind of superficial. Until he gets to that point. Okay, and then when he gets to that point, he's ready to repent. And then he does, and he walks through these steps of repentance. Okay, as Jesus tells us, this inner monologue that happens in his mind. Okay, and the first thing is that he acknowledges the Father's love. Okay, again, this isn't just thinking about the fact that, that my Father loves me, but the fact he's acknowledging that his Father is even still alive. Right, he's saying, I don't want to live my life like he's dead anymore. I want to acknowledge that he exists. And not only does he exist, but he loves. Right, again, we th- I mean, we follow this reasoning in his head. He's, right, like, he's like, my Father even loves his servants. I mean, he even gives love to them. Right? He acknowledges that his father exists and acknowledges that his father is loving. And again, he is being pursued by his father and he realizes it in this moment. Now, he's not being physically pursued by his father, but again, his father's love has continued to pursue him and it finally hits him when he comes to his senses. Right? The next step, of repentance after acknowledging the father's love is realizing the wrong that he's done. Okay, realizing, he realizes again that he's turned his back, he's gone the opposite direction, right, from his father. Okay, and then again, this is the, the to come to his senses part, right? He realizes that his back is turned to his father, that he wants to start moving back to him. Right, again, this is the point when we say we join the journey, when we accept Christ as your savior, right? Our back is to God. And when we receive him as our savior, we make a 180, and now we are facing him. Right? We realize the wrong we've done. And then the next step is he reestablishes communication and confesses. Okay, he, he reaches out. Right? And again, he, he, he reestablishes this communication in his head first. He's, he's rehearsing all this that he's going to say to his father. Right? But then... Uh, again, he, he reestablishes that communication. He confesses the wrong that he's done. Right? And then the next step, right, comes quickly in the story is that he moves in a new direction and follows through. Now, in the story, he physically moves. I mean, he gets up and starts walking home. And again, when we're in this process of repentance, right, again, we have, to, we have to move in a new direction. And we have to follow through with 
with what we're giving, we're confessing. And this is the difference between repentance and confession. Right? Con- to confess just, means, just admits that we did something wrong. Right? Repentance means we actually move in a different direction. Right? And we follow through with the conviction that we've been given. There's a big difference between confession and repentance. Right? And this one is the key. Confession is just I admit it and then I can just keep down the same road, right? Repentance is I actually turn around and I move in a new direction. Okay, and I don't go back there again. And then the last step is, again, an incredibly important one is he accepts restoration. And I'll tell you, there is no harder person to forgive than yourself. Again, he, he had this, this, this speech, right, rehearsed in his mind. Right about, I'm going go to go to my father, and I'm just going to ask, like, hey, I know I'm not a son. I gave up that right, okay, but just, just at least, you know, make me a servant. And, and then, right, the father interrupts him and says, no, you, you're restored as a son, and he accepts it. Right, he gets interrupted, and he doesn't try to rebuttal, right? He accepts forgiveness. And when we repent from something, we need to accept that forgiveness and even forgive ourselves. Right, as we move into that new direction. He is restored to his status of son, but there are still earthly consequences to his decision. Okay, and we can be forgiven our sins, but yet there are still earthly consequences to our decision that we still have to pay out, even when we're forgiven. Right, the fact is, he, he still will not get an inheritance when his father actually dies. Right, something the, the father acknowledges later in the story. Okay, there are still physical and worldly consequences to our sin. Right? Even if we confess and we repent and we turn away from it, we still have to deal with those, those consequences, right? Maybe that's a fine, right? Maybe that's jail time, right? Whatever it would be. We still have to pay those prices, even though we're forgiven. There are still earthly consequences to our decisions. And then the story moves to the older son, right? And that is in verses 25 through 32. 25 through 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and asked one of his servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We need to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So as we read, again, this story of the older son, right? and again, as I said, it's two sons, right? They they're, they're both have their issues, okay? And we see this older son's issues look out on the outside very different than the younger one, okay? But yet, Jesus was teaching us in this story, right, that the older brother was just as lost as the younger one. Again, it looks very different, right? Just like all of our journeys look different. But this older brother was just as lost as the younger one. 
Again, we see this again by his reaction, right? He comes, he comes home after working, slaving for the father, right? He comes home, and, and again, the party's going on, and he's, he, you know, what's going on? And they tell him, and this is his reaction, right? In verse 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, but his father came out and begged him. Again, as we think about this and the, the stories right, that set up this one, and about if this son is really lost, right, is the father searching for this son? You bet he is. Right, because what did the father do? The father came out and begged the older son to come in. This son was, was being pursued just as much as the prodigal. Right, the father's love extended to this son just like it did to the prodigal. Right, but the difference, right, was that this son didn't know he was lost. Okay, this son, sure, he never physically left, but his heart was so far off from where the father's heart was. Right, and the father comes out and begs him, right? He's like, again, what is he really begging him? He's not begging him to come into a party. He's begging him, he's like, son, I need you to gain the heart that I have. Right, and you're so far from that right now in this reaction. Right, and it's all being played out. Like, it's sure he never physically left, but his heart was a long way from where the father's was. Again, he had as much or even maybe more of a selfish motivation and mindset than the younger brother. Right, and the father is pleading with him, son, have a kingdom mindset. Right, this isn't about you, this is about your brother. Right? This is about the kingdom of God. And once again, the Pharisees and the religious leaders are the target of Jesus' parable. And this was the hard truth. Okay, the hard truth he was teaching them. Okay, and the hard truth was this. If you are really a son, it will be seen by how you treat your brother. If you're really a son, it'll be seen by how you treat your brother. In fact, again, this is exactly what he tells him in verses 31 and 32. He says, his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, you, and everything I have is yours, right? He's like, again, he, he has no inheritance, right? It's all yours. He's like, we, but we had to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. He underlined the phrase, we had to celebrate. Right, because his father's telling him, this is the way God's kingdom works. We receive love and grace from God, and we pass that on to other people. You know, and the very interesting thing about this is, notice in the, in the, the older brother's rant, right, he doesn't call him his brother. He calls, he says, this son of yours. Right, and now in this response by the father, notice the father references him as his brother. Right, and he's telling him, hey, your perspective is way off, dude. Right, because the way you treat your brother will really show whether you're really my son. And if you'll take on my heart. In fact, Jesus taught this, right, he says this very plainly in John 13, 35. Right, where he says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Again, what's different than the, with God's kingdom than in, in the worldly way? Well, it's the way you treat each other. Right? Are we going to celebrate together when somebody lost is found? 
right? Even if they don't know they're lost, right? Will we hope that they realize they're lost and be found? We have to celebrate. Again, Jesus doesn't give us the reaction of the older son. He never resolves the story. The story, when this story ends, the younger brother has been restored in his relationship with the father and the older son has not. He doesn't resolve the story. He doesn't tell us the end. We don't see the older son's reaction. Again, um, will the older son, the good son, right, repent and repair his broken relationship with his father? We don't know. We do know that the Pharisees and the religious leaders would, ne have, would never acknowledge their errors. And in fact, they would just continue to get angrier at Jesus as the story continues. So angry, they end up sending him to the cross. We, we already know their response, right? Because of the things that happen. But yet, then it's, it's extended to us. What about us? But will we walk through repentance and be restored? no matter which brother we identify more with. Maybe it's the younger one, and if we're quite honest with ourselves, we're probably a little bit of both. No matter where you are in your faith journey, you can return to God. But as we think about this idea and this concept, again, both, both brothers were being pursued by a loving God. Right, their stories looked very different, but yet they, they both needed restored. And as we think about this story and think about, again, the hard-hitting truth and the lesson that it shows, right, is the fact that we have a loving Father. And He wants our relationship to be restored with Him. So as we conclude this morning, I want to end with this, this short video that illustrates this topic really well. since we talked, I was, you know, I was kind of hoping you'd answer, but um, you know, I understand that you probably don't want to talk to me. I've just gone so far, and the things I've done, I, I just regret it, you know? And I know how bad I've hurt you and let you down, but, but Dad, I, I miss you. I miss how we drive around and just talk about life. And I just, I just want to come home. But I know you've probably written me off. I can't blame you, actually. Here's, here's, here's the thing. <laughs> it's kind of a shot in the dark, but I'm, uh, I'm coming through town soon and I'd really just like to see you. I know 
I can't just show up at the front door like I used to, but but if you want to see me, just hang a small sheet out on the porch. And if the sheet isn't there, when I drive by, I'll keep going, and, and I'll try not to bother you anymore. I love you, Dad. father ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him right? and he couldn't show how much he loved him or even the fact that he ran I mean again that was so outside of their culture right and no matter where you are in your faith right whether you've never joined the journey ever before or you've just not even realized you've been lost the father's pursuing you and he loves you more than he can say. There's not enough sheets in the world to show how much he loves you. Which leads me to my final thought this morning. A selfish mindset will affect you in every phase of your faith journey. A kingdom mindset will always help you repair what is broken. Is your relationship with the Father damaged? Yeah, I have no idea whether it is or not. Uh, but my hope, right, is that if there is any damage, that it will be repaired. Because God is pursuing you. God loves you. Right? And God wants you to be restored. Right? And my hope this morning is that you will take, again, whether you've got to go through the steps of repentance or just walk into the party, God wants you to join into his kingdom. Right? And to celebrate together. So I, this morning... Whatever you need to do, if your relationship's damaged, fix it. Right? Christ is here with his arms wide open, saying, come home. Come home. God, we thank you, God, that you, Lord, paid the price. God, so that we could be repaired. God, we praise you, God, that your arms are open. God, waiting for us to come home. And God, no matter 
how far away we are, I pray, God, that we will take that step back to you. God, no matter which son, we're more like. God, we thank you for loving us even when we're unlovable. God, for pursuing us. God, for being so excited, God, over us being restored to you. God, help us, Lord, to, to live out our kingdom mindset. Lord, this week as we represent you in our community. God, it is everything that we do may be focused on you, God. Help us as we go this week. God, to take this, whatever step we need. God, to be closer to you. Guide us as we go, Lord, as we continue to journey. Keep us focused on you, God. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. Guide us as we go in Jesus' name. Amen.